Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. What's up, Stevens Creek? How are you guys doing? It is good to see you. Man, I missed you guys. You probably didn't even know I was gone. You're like, he was gone? Used to work here, moved away. Now I'm back. Nobody can stay away from this place. I, this is always my church home. Always, no matter where God leads us. But we have moved to Texas doing marriage ministry full time. And we've missed you guys this summer. So a quick update about summer. I've been seeing your pictures on Facebook. You've been all over the place. I'd love to invite you all to come to Texas, though not in the summer. It is the one place on earth hotter than Georgia in the summer. So if you're not sure where Texas is, because um, I would love for you to come, I brought a map, meteorological map to help you. The sun is here. <laughs> Texas is right about here. The rest of the earth is over here. This is how it feels in the summer. It's a warm place. So we moved. Moving is stressful. Um, how many of you have ever moved with children? You've moved from, yes. Gosh, we should start a support group. It is terrible. And it's, it's just hard with, with children. And then my wife and I, we thought, what's one way we could add stress to the most stressful thing, moving with children? I know, let's go on a diet. So, so we started something called keto. Anybody on keto? Yeah? Yeah, it works. But... It works because you don't eat carbs, okay? I realized something about myself like a weekend. I need carbs. Like carbs are my friend. Like carbs keep me going. The list of things that I love. It's like Jesus, my wife, carbs, my kids. It's like everything else. It's like it's up on the list. And, and so I've, I like fell off the way. I'm just convinced Jesus wants me a little chubby and I'm okay with that. So I'm back on carbs because the Bible says... Give us this day our daily bread. Says nothing about daily almonds. Says nothing about daily protein shakes. So I'm back on bread. I had some donuts back there. Praise Jesus. They were amazing. I'm going to be fatter next time you see me, but I'm going to be happy. I'm telling you. No, it, it, does, it does work. Ashley's on the plan. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I wouldn't recommend a diet when you're already in a stressful season of life. That's just a free piece of advice that has nothing to do with the sermon. What we're talking about today is even more important than your physical diet. We're talking about... A spiritual diet. What do you do to keep your soul fed? What do you do to stay connected to God? And I love, I love our church here for so many reasons. And one of the many, many things I love about Stephen Street Church is that it is built on prayer. Everything that God has done here, everything that God has done through Pastor Marty, through the vision of this church, it has been built on a foundation of prayer. And 21 days of prayer, which we're at the start of right now, it isn't just a ritual. It isn't just a routine. It isn't just going through the motions. It is a very intentional carving out time on our calendar at two very strategic points of the year, the start of the school year and the start of the calendar year, saying, God, we want to we put you first. We want to enter into this season chasing after your will in presence with you in prayer so that you can realign our hearts, our minds with what you have for us so that we can get the junk out of our life so that we can, God, grow closer to you. And I just, I love that that is such a value that this church is built on. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. And 
I'm just going to own the awkward in saying that even for a lot of us who are Christians, a lot of us who are, are following Jesus, I think if we're honest, prayer, the idea of prayer, it, it freaks us out a little bit. We're weirded out by it. Even Jesus' own disciples were kind of like timidly, awkwardly asking, could you teach us to pray? Like, we, we really don't, I mean, we, we really, we're not sure about how to do it. And 2,000 years later, I think a lot of us are still on that same boat. It's like, it's like Lord, I'm not really sure what prayer is supposed to look like. I know I'm supposed to do it. But it's kind of one of those things like going to the dentist, like I'm supposed to do it, but I put it off. I don't want to do it that often. Prayer shouldn't be like that. Prayer should be the rhythm of our soul. Prayer should be as important to us as the beating of our heart. It keeps, it keeps that connection with God so strong, the most important parts of our lives. And the reasons why we don't do it, I think, is simply because we misunderstand it. We overcomplicate it. We think, oh, I've got to say certain words. I've got to do it a certain way. I've, there's some kind of special voice I have to use or certain things I have to memorize. And we miss, we really miss the point of just connecting with our loving, perfect, heavenly Father who wants nothing more than to spend time with us, to be part of everything that we're facing. And so today we're going to open up Scripture and we're going to just be encouraged by the beauty and simplicity of what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, taught us about prayer. And I believe it can not only change our prayer life, but in doing so, it could change every aspect of our life. Before we get to uh, the scripture, I'm going to share one quote from a book on prayer I read a couple, weeks, a couple years ago, rather, a book by Mark Batterson. He's a pastor, and he wrote a book called The Circle Maker, which really opened my eyes to just the beauty and the power of prayer. It's filled with scripture, but one of the quotes from Pastor Mark in this book that stood out to me was this. He said, prayers are prophecies. They are the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. And as I read scripture and I look over and over at God working through imperfect people, unqualified people, just like me, just like all of us, I see that it always begins with prayer. These people in partnership with God were shaping the future. And in a lot of ways, that's what prayer is. It's coming into partnership with God and saying, God, I want you to shape me. I want you to realign my thoughts, my heart with the things that you want me to be about. I want you, God, to make me a change agent, bringing about your will to wherever I am, my office, my school, my family, wherever I am. And it begins with prayer. And so... How do we pray? What does that actually look like? Jesus shows us, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And I think it, it all begins, in, in, in the words of Jesus, with how we approach God. And first thing, if you're filling in the blank, is this. When you approach God, pray, approach God as a loving father. And remember that you are a beloved child. You know, Christianity, followers of Jesus, we're the only religious system in the world that approaches God as a loving father. Every other religious system, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pray, you know, my God, and we can do that. He's, yes, he's our God. Yes, he's our savior. Yes, he's our Lord. He's all of those things. But only those of us who put our faith in Christ can come to him and say, our father, a perfect heavenly father. And Jesus is teaching us, you've got to come to him as a child, with the faith of a child, knowing that he loves you and knowing that he's for you. One of my favorite Bible teachers is a guy named Timothy Keller. He's a great preacher, a great writer. He says, man, I've read the Bible over and over so many times. And to me, the two most powerful words in the Bible are the words, even as. 
And he said, now those words might not sound that powerful to you, but when you put them in context to a prayer that Jesus was praying in John chapter 17 for you and for me, because Jesus in that prayer was praying to his father for us, for those of us who would come to faith in him. He was praying for us. We were on his mind, on his heart right before he went to the cross. And this is what he prayed. Father, I pray you would love them even as you've loved me. I pray you would be one with them even as you are one with me. I mean, think about that. The Savior of the world, our Savior, is inviting us into that kind of fellowship, that kind of oneness, so that when God the Father looks at us, He loves us with the same love He has for His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And by putting our faith in Him, we're now adopted into God's family. And we can come to Him. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, the Bible says, Not because we've done anything to deserve that favor, but because of who we are in him. We are his sons. We are his daughters. And God looks at us and and loves us in Christ, even as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a mind-blowing, world-changing reality. If we will just embrace that as who we are, as our identity. If we'll just come with gratitude to a loving Heavenly Father who's made that possible. Imagine how differently we would pray. So with that in mind, we're going to open up our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, we see what you know, we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives a, a template, kind of, well, if you want to pray, start out like this. And there's a whole lot we could spend unpacking that. But that's not the part we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the part right before the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is telling us some important parts about prayer, including how not to pray. And sometimes we skip right over this. And don't highlight this part in our Bibles, but there's so much in here. And in it, Jesus is saying the two, two biggest mistakes people make when they pray is they pray like a group of people that Jesus calls the hypocrites or like a group of people that Jesus calls the pagans. Now, the hypocrites are people that the only prayers they pray are kind of in public. that They're doing it in, in public religious ceremonies. Because the people around them will think better of them because they do it. But really the person's heart is actually far from God. They're not interested in a real relationship with God. There's no private prayer life or private worship in their life. It's just I'm going to do this in public because when I do it in public, people will think I'm a respectable person. By me being outwardly religious, maybe they're going to be more likely to you know, hire me to be their, their mechanic or their lawyer or their realtor or whatever it is. It's more of like a networking thing. But there's not a heart behind it that really is seeking God. That's the the hypocrite group. Now, the other group is called the pagans, Jesus is going to tell us about. You think pagans, they don't pray in the first place, right? I mean, they're godless. No, Jesus is describing as a pagan anybody who tries to approach God on their own terms. And what I mean by that is they're making up their own rules for what God is like, for who God is, instead of looking at what God has told us about himself. And we live in a world now that says God can be whoever you want him to be. If you want to call him the universe, he's the universe. If you want to, if you want to do that, I mean, whatever, whatever you believe God is, he's your personal God. And Jesus said, that's the mindset, excuse me, of a pagan. They have no interest in knowing the true God. They just want to make one up on their own. They want to, they want to try to coerce God into doing their will instead of actually doing the will of God. So with that being said, now let's read in Jesus' own words how he says to pray and how he says not to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. We talked about what they are. They love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you, 
that's all the reward they will ever get. If all they're interested in is the praise of people, that's all the reward they'll ever get because their heart is far from God. But when you pray, he says, this is what I want you to do. Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't go on and on babbling like like the pagans do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again and again, going through these specific rituals and routines. Don't be like them. Your father already knows exactly what you need before you ask him. So pray like this. And then these two powerful words. Our father. You're approaching a heavenly perfect father. He loves. It's, a, it's about the relationship. So there's a lot happening in this paragraph. Jesus is teaching us. He's saying. Look your private worship. Should always outshine your public worship. And it's important. He's not saying don't come together and worship and pray together. The Bible has a lot to say about the importance. The significance. The mutual encouragement of coming together. Praying for each other. With each other in public. But Jesus is saying, don't pray only to have other people be impressed with you. But make your prayer life all about connecting with your father. That's the most important part. And in any relationship in your life, the most significant moments in that relationship are the moments where you intentionally spend one-on-one uninterrupted time with that person. That's the only way a relationship is ever really going to grow and thrive and God wants that with you. He wants that with me. He's saying, go, go off into your closet. It doesn't have to literally be a closet. It could be your car. But have the discipline to turn off the radio in that car sometimes. Have the discipline to turn off your phone sometimes. And all of those distractions. And just saying, Lord, I want this moment to just be me and you. Forgive me that I've let so many distractions come in the way. I've put so many interruptions ahead of you. I want to just be focused on you. Not on my to-do list, not on anything but you, Lord. Just speak to my heart. Help me to hear your voice. Let me tell you about what's happening in my life. And Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. You know, they're, they're coming to God with kind of these formulas and saying, well, if, if I do it this way, God has to answer my prayer like he's a genie in a bottle or if I just repeat it so many times. And Jesus says, this is your father you're talking to. He knows what you need. And so some people ask, well, why would I pray for specific things if God already knows what I need. I heard a, a pastor named Greg Laurie preach on prayer recently on this specific passage, and I thought this was so powerful. He said, we pray for specific needs, not to inform God, but to invite God. God already knows what you're going through. It's not like you're having a, a phone conversation with your grandpa and just catching him up on what's new in your life. I mean, God knows every. He's already there. He, he knows all the parts of your life you don't even know. And so he doesn't need you to tell him. What he needs you to do is invite him. Say, God, I'm, I'm going through this right now. I don't know where to turn. Father, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure what to do next. Father, I really need strength. And I'm, I'm scared by this. I'm confused by this. Show me what to do. Give me the strength. Give me the guidance. And it's inviting him. It's inviting his presence, his peace, his strength to come alongside you and to give you the hope that you need. He wants to hear your specific prayers. He wants you to talk to him about everything that's going on in your life, not because he needs to be informed, but because he desires to be invited. And when you invite him, you'll be amazed at the peace that he brings into whatever storm you're facing. He wants to face it with you. He wants to carry you through it. And yet we, in our pride, we miss out on that because we're trying to do so much on our own. So when we pray, putting this into practice, we need to pray with faithfulness. And this is the hard part, fearlessness, knowing that God is in control 
And he will give you exactly what you need. And this part's hard too, in his perfect timing. God's timing, if you haven't noticed, it's almost never the same as our timing. Because like we'll pray with the mindset of like, God, I've got this date circled on the calendar. I'm going to give you till this date. And then if it's not done, I'm going to take care of it my way, right? God's timing doesn't usually work like that. He is calling us in faithfulness to say, you got to trust me. You got to trust the process. You got to trust that I'm working behind the scenes. I'm using this struggle. I'm using this time where you're having to be patient to do something in you. And you can either choose to grow bitter and angry with God during those times or to grow closer to God, trusting in him while you're waiting on the answers. Because really, our faith grows the most and is tested the most in the gap between your timing and God's timing, where patience is what you have to hold on to. The Bible has a lot to say about patience. I love this verse from Psalms. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That means joyful in hope. There's always hope. Hope isn't just wishful thinking. Hope is holding on to the promises that everything Jesus says is true. Our pain is always temporary. Our joy is eternal. And whatever you're facing, he's going to carry you through. We can have joy even in the struggle. That's not being naive. It's not putting our head in the sand and pretending the problems aren't there. But it's reminding ourselves God is in control. Patient in affliction. Even in affliction, even in the hard stuff, we can endure being patient. And then faithful in prayer. Faithful means continuing on that path, not giving up. And if you want to know what God's definition of success is for your life, his definition is the only one that matters, by the way. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about the car you drive, the academic degrees that you have, even though those things are all fine and good. But if that's where your identity is, it'll be empty. God's definition of success is simply faithfulness. Faithfulness. Did you continue to trust him, even in the struggle? Did you continue to follow him, even when you were tempted and distracted to go all these different ways. It doesn't mean we never mess up. We all need grace every single day, but faithfulness means continuing to get back on that track of saying, God, what is it that you've called me to do in this season of my life? And how can I do it faithfully, even when nobody but you is noticing? Even when nobody but you is noticing. That's the hard part, because we want praise from people. We want people to tell us we're doing a good job. We want we want the accolades, we want the awards, we want the, the financial compensation. And sometimes those things come and it's great when they do. But even more important than that, God, even if, if you're the only one that's noticing this, even if you're the only one who ever rewards this, even if this is just an act of worship between me and you, help me to be faithful. Help me to continue to give you my best no matter what. And he will, he will give you the strength in whatever storm that you're facing. And he will actually help take away the fear that all of us are prone to. All of us struggle with fear, especially when we take our eyes off Jesus and start looking at our problems instead. Because what, whatever you focus on, that's what's going to consume your thoughts. If you're focused on Christ, his peace will, will fill you. But if you're focused on all the problems, then that chaos and that fear will be what fills you. He doesn't want us to live afraid. But if we choose not the path of patience, but the pagan path of just doing our own thing. This is what happens. And I've been guilty of this. Instead of faithfully, patiently praying through something and doing things that we, God's way, based on what's based in God's word, instead of actually looking in his word for answers and looking in prayer, we'll just decide what we want to do. And then we'll say a prayer about it. Like, God, I feel like this is from you. If it's not strike me with lightning no lightning, it's God's will, right? And we just run off and do something else. 
very often, even though it, it contradicts what's in his word. I hear all, all the time Christians say, I just want to know God's will. I just want to know his will. And I'm like, well, are you in his word? Because that's where his will is. He's already told us. He sent you a thousand page text message and it's alive and living and breathing and active. And Christians don't read it. But they say they want to know God's will. God will never, ever, ever, ever direct you in prayer to do something that contradicts what he's already told you. And so I'll tell, I mean, I'll call people out. I don't, I, they'll say something like, you know, God, God wants me to leave my wife. Just not happy. He wants me to be happy. And I'll say, you're an idiot. Okay, like, and I say that with love as your brother in Christ. But that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God wants me to follow my heart. My heart's lead, Your heart will lead you to do some terrible, stupid, stupid things. And the Bible tells it you that it will. You know, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So don't follow your heart. I don't care what the Hallmark card said you got at graduation says. Don't follow your heart. Follow God's word. It's unchanging. It's always true. It's always going to lead you in the right direction. If you're just following your feelings, who knows where you're going to end up? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. Life's going to be a mess. God wants better things for you than that. But we believe this myth that, well, if it's God's will... It'll be easy. It won't hurt. There won't be a struggle. And the moment there's a struggle, it must have meant that I'm, I'm doing something wrong. There's going to be struggles no matter what. That's life. There are storms. Jesus said in this world, you'll have troubles. But when you put your faith in him, he helps you overcome the struggles. He's, he faces it with you. But when we take the path of the pagan, what we do instead is we take our own selfish, reckless choice. And then we convince ourselves that God has approved it because we said a prayer about it. I'll give you an example. I've got an uncle, loves going to the racetrack, loves betting on the horses. Don't worry, he's not watching online. He's at the racetrack. And a couple years ago, he lost his job. Able-bodied guy, right? Able-bodied guy, able to find another job. So we're like, you going to go find another job? And he said this. This is a true story. No, I've prayed about this. And God told me, This is funny. He didn't think so, but it's funny. God told me that I I am to go to the racetrack every day. And the Holy Spirit will show me which horses to pick. And he will provide for me this way. I'm like, really? God told you that? That's amazing. Because God's told us a lot of stuff in here that isn't that at all. Like, I mean, I've got a lot of verses we could point to. I don't know where to start, actually. But let's just start with the ones about work. Because you're an able-bodied person in a place where there is other work to be had. And the Bible says a lot about work. I mean, how many verses do you want? You know, Proverbs say, mere talk leads only to poverty, but all hard work brings a profit. Or if you want something a little more blunt, the New Testament says, a man who's not willing to work should not be allowed to eat. I mean, how many verses do you want? Because God's already spoken to this, and it's not, the horse track isn't in there. And, but he said, no, no, I prayed about this. I'm going to do it. So he did it. And you know what he learned after a couple months? The Holy Spirit is terrible at picking horses. Right? He lost all his money. And then he got a job. He could have saved himself a couple months of a lot of loss. And a, and <laughs> because he did things his way. Right? And, we, and we've all, and I'm picking on my uncle, we've, we've all in our own way done stuff like that. We have. It, we, we've, we've said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay in this unhealthy relationship, even though I know it's, it's not, not honoring to God and we're, we're sinning. But I'm going to stay in it because I, I'm just, I believe that God has, has told me that I could. 
And I'm like, actually, no, God's, he's, he's said a lot of different things in here that he wouldn't contradict, no matter what you're feeling. I'm going to keep doing this unhealthy habit. It's just a little vice, but, you know, it, it helps me get through the stress. And I, and I think that, it, you know, I think God's okay with it. I'm like, well, really? Because God says your, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot that he has to say in here that, that seems to directly contradict what you say he's telling you. And so maybe that voice you're hearing isn't God. Because if it's going against what he's already said, then you know it's not him. He will never contradict his word. But what happens is we get afraid and fear causes us to do things our own way. God's taking too much time. He's not answering this prayer the way that I want him to. I'm afraid of being lonely or I'm afraid of not having my needs met or I'm afraid of whatever. And so we, we, we take the path of the pagan. We do what we want and we convince ourselves that God is in it. But all the while, we're just justifying a reckless, a reckless path. And what God wants to do instead is he wants to give you peace in the midst of the storm, even while you're waiting on his timing. And fear is a real thing. Like, I mean, I, I get it. When we moved into this, this house um, in Texas, and these aren't like real problems. I know a lot of you are facing like real problems. That, but just to give you an example of recently what we've been going through, like everything has fallen apart on this house. Okay, like it's a great house. Come visit. Love to have you. But everything's falling apart. First night there, water's coming through the ceiling in one of the rooms. First night, we'd driven all day. We get there. We're like, yay, we're home. Water coming through the ceiling upstairs, flooding a room because of this like condensation back up in the air conditioning unit upstairs. So we're huge mess. I mean, huge mess. Spent like a lot of time and money cleaning up. As soon as we get fixed with that, there's this other water leak coming through this other part of the house. And we had to get plumbers out to do that. A few days later, the garage door I was, it was closing and it totally came off of the like track. It fell off. I didn't know this was possible. It like fell off the thing. And so we had to get somebody to come do that. A couple days later, the, this big electrical transformer in the backyard exploded. Like sounded like a bomb went off, exploded. Total blackout, not only at our house, our block our whole block, total dark. And so this huge electrical crew is there working through the night, like all night, no power, no fans, no AC. Did I mention it can get in the 90s at night in Texas? So, so it kind of got to the point where I started just feeling like anxious. Like I was afraid every call was bad news. Like Ashley would call and be like, what is it? Did a meteor hit the house? Is it on fire? Just tell me, what is it? Something terrible. Like and I, I could just tell, like, I was giving over to, like, fear. Like, just this pessimistic, worried view that it was going to be more bad news. And then one morning, I was reading the Bible, and God led me to this, this verse. And it just kind of made me laugh because it was like God's way of winking at me saying, you got to chill out, Dave. And it was this. In the Psalms, he said, they, talking about those who trust God, will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Now, notice what this verse does not say. It does not say they will have no bad news. You're going to have bad news the same as people who don't follow God. Christians and pagans, they all get bad news. The difference is we have no fear of bad news. Why? Is it because we live in this naive fairyland where we just pretend it's not there? No, no, we, we feel the same pain. We face the same struggles. But the difference is we know that God is with us and he is for us. And he's going to carry us through. We, we know that we don't have to be afraid of the bad news that might come. We don't have to dread the report from the doctor. We don't have to dread 
the report from the banker. We don't have to dread any of that because God is with us. But here's the best part. We don't have to have fear even when the bad news comes. Even when the doctor says it's cancer. Even when the banker says you're out of money. I mean, we don't have to fear because we can say my God will meet all my needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God is with me. He's for me. And even if I lose my life, even if my life is gone, what if I lost? I have eternity with him. There is nothing that I have to fear. But each day you have, you've got to decide, am I going to allow worry or faith to live in my heart? Fear and faith will not ever be roommates. They won't live together. You've got to decide every day, sometimes every moment, which one you're going to evict and which one gets to stay. And every day we've got to say, I'm choosing faith. I'm choosing peace. I'm choosing to trust God. And the more I focus on him, there's not any room in my life for fear. You know, our three-year-old son, Chatham, is, he's so brave most of the time. He loves superheroes. He puts on these superhero costumes. He was dressed up like Iron Man this morning. Ashley was texting me pictures from Texas. He's just fearless until it's bedtime. All right? Then all of his bravery, all of his superhero powers, it's just right out the window. And I started trying to figure out, why does he get so scared at bedtime? And I'm piecing it together, and I I figured out at least part of the reason why. You see, our oldest son, Cooper, is great with Chatham. I mean, he is so fun and nurturing, and and it's it's unlocked this tender side of Cooper that I'd never seen before until, until his baby brother came along. And it's so sweet to see. So I'm trying to encourage that. And I'm like, I'm going to give you an important job. I want you to read a bedtime story to to Chatham every night. And I got like the safest book I could think of. It's a picture storybook Bible. How could this go wrong, right? Just read him a story. You know, and and I'll come in afterwards and tuck him in. It'll be great. So I started to notice Chatham was like scared every night after story time just scared. And I'm like, what's going on? So I start talking to Cooper. I'm like, Hey buddy, talk to me through like story time. How's that going? He's like, it's fine. But I got to tell you that Bible, you got him totally inaccurate. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So I've been telling him the real stories. I'm like, give me an example. He's like, Oh, well they're all messed up. But, uh, like tonight was David and Goliath. And this is the children's for the kids version. It said, and David threw a rock and hit Goliath, and Goliath fell down and said, ow. And I said, this is not what happened, Chatham. This is what happened. David threw the rock, knocked him out, rendered him unconscious. Then David goes to him, takes the giant sword, saws off his head. His body was probably still moving around with the head off. This can happen. And then he holds up the head to frighten the Philistine army. They start running away, but it's okay because the Israelite army chased them down, slaughtered them. That means they killed all of them. Like, everybody got killed. And that's, that, that's what happened. And Chatham's like, Mommy! So, I'm talking to Coop, and I'm like, Buddy, listen. I love your attention to detail. And to start with the positive, right, as a parent. Love how you love the facts. Children's ministry... Might not be your thing. Like, preschool teacher might not be in the cards for you. Like, we're going to help you find your sweet spot. So, but our three-year-old, his response to being afraid is actually the correct response. He would run to his daddy's arms. Because when I'm holding him, he's not afraid. And when Jesus says, I want you to come 
come to your father with the faith like a child. And I picture my three-year-old running with open arms saying, Daddy, I need you. I need you. And I scoop him up, and whatever he is afraid of disappears. And God is calling us to that same level of intimacy with him. He's saying, whatever you're facing, just bring it to me with open arms. Daddy, I need you. And he will hold you. And whatever you're facing will feel so small compared to the strength and the presence of your father in the midst of that storm. All right, we'll quickly move through some of these these last ones. So when you pray, don't pray just to know God's answers. Pray to know God's peace in his presence. We miss the point when we only go to God like he's the magic eight ball. You know that thing you'd like ask a question, shake it up. God, do I do this? Yes or no? Yes, okay. Put it back on the shelf and then leave it there until you get into another situation where you really need an answer. God doesn't want to be your magic eight ball. He wants to be your, your father, your friend. Your, he wants to take the journey with you. And as you invite him with you, you'll always be on the right track. And even if you happen to step off track, he'll be right there to bring you back, to redirect the path. And he'll help you face whatever you're facing without the worry. We've talked a lot about letting go of worry. One of my favorite passages that relates to this, something you might want to like type out, print out, put on your refrigerator. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. Then the peace of God which exceeds anything we can understand, will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants for you. He wants to give you peace. He wants you to express gratitude. Thank him for all he's done. Gratitude, it like chases away fear as well. It, It reminds us of all God's done for us. It reminds us of his faithfulness. And so last fill in the blank is when you pray, pray with persistence. Knowing your asking doesn't annoy God. It honors him. Jesus taught us this. He said, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on knocking, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now, this is different than the babbling on and on, repeating like the pagans pray, thinking that God will answer their prayer just because they said it a certain way or said it a certain amount of times. He's inviting us to faithfulness. He's inviting us to persist and saying, I just want you to keep pursuing that relationship with God, to keep trusting him, to keep bringing that need to him even in the midst of the struggle. And he is going to give you peace. He is going to give you direction. And it's never an annoyance. Don't think that you're like waking God up from some sleep and he's annoyed to answer your prayer. He, just like my three-year-old knocking on the door three in the morning saying, Daddy, I need some water. Now I get annoyed because I'm grumpy and sleepy at three in the morning, but he gets his water and he gets a kiss and he gets what he needs. God is not like me. God is perfect. God doesn't need sleep. He neither slumbers nor nor sleeps, the Bible says. And he's always there waiting, ready for you to come to him with whatever need you have. He's never annoyed or bothered by you. There's no sound in the universe sweeter to him than the sound of your voice calling out to him. And so bring your need to him and he is there to give you hope. You know, yesterday to to kind of wrap this up, I I had a FaceTime call with with, uh, just a hero of the faith of mine. It's, it's my grandmother who's still living, but she's in really poor health. And, and she's in a hospital room in, um, yesterday. And my mom called from the hospital room and grandma's probably going to have to have this, this procedure. It's a minor procedure for someone who's healthy, but it, her heart is so weak. Her health is so frail that any kind of surgical procedure could, could be the end for her. And she's well aware of that. And so my mom asked me to pray and I could tell my mom was really worried. And so I kind of prayed this prayer, prayer trying to like comfort my grandma over FaceTime. 
And I said, amen. And grandma was like, well, thank you, David. And she said, can I pray? And I'm like, sure. And then my mom holds the phone up to her and laying in this hospital bed, tubes everywhere, just in pain and discomfort. This woman started to pray and I immediately realized she's not the one who needed comforting. She, she's totally at peace. She's praying for all of us. And this, this woman, this remarkable lady, 91 years old, not educated, elementary schools as far as she got, grew up on a, a little farm in a little farm town. Hard work and faith is, is what she knew. She, she's had a hard life. You know, if you think that following Jesus is an easy life, she, she hadn't had that. She's buried two husbands. She's had incredible health struggles lived in a lot of discomfort. She's had an incredible financial struggle. She's um, had, to, had to work hard and, and she's lived in the same small house that my grandpa built with his own two hands for all of her adult life. But the love that she has for her father, the peace, the intimacy, the joy, man, it's something you can't put a price tag on. And as she prayed, it was just a different kind of prayer. It was a prayer of a daughter who knew her father was with her and loved her. And she said, Father, you know I love you. And I thank you so much that you love me. And I thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life from that cross to pay the price for my sins so that I could be with you forever. I could be adopted into your family. I thank you that you conquered death so I don't have to fear it. None of us do. And Lord, you know I'm hurting but I know this is temporary. And so all I'm praying is that your will would be done. If you're ready to bring me home, you know I'm ready to, I'm ready to be there. But if your will's for me to stay on earth a little while longer, I'm fine with that too. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. Give peace to my family. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And as she got done praying, like, there were, there were tears in my eyes because it was like the little curtain of heaven was peeled back and there was just such an intimacy. You could feel, you could feel God just wrapping his arms around her and around each of us. And I'm like, that's what God desires. It's not about, it's not about all the hoops we try to jump through to impress God. It's just about coming to him with the faith like a child, knowing he's with us and for us and what's only good things for us. And so as we prepare to wrap up this service, I want to invite you to spend just a few more minutes here, but maybe the most powerful few minutes of the day. And that's just to sit and listen to the words of this song that's about to be sung. It's a song that essentially is singing the words that my grandma prayed. God, your will be done in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this, this struggle. I'm trusting you and loving you, and I know that you're in control. And as you listen, feel free to pray. Call out to your Heavenly Father about whatever you're facing. And if you want to put another action step with that prayer, on your seat or under your seat, there's a, a prayer card that goes with 21 days of prayer that says, today I'm praying for. And just write down, just like a, a note to God, what you're praying for. And I'll come back right at the end of this song. And, and as we dismiss, I'll give you a few final instructions on what to do with this. But over the next few minutes, just block out all the distractions from your mind and focus in on the powerful words you're about to hear.
powerful reminder that is man God is with you in the storm 
And you can pray, thy will be done, knowing that his will for you is good and perfect. And you can trust him even when it hurts, even through the struggle. And I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Pray specifically for those who might be going through that struggle right now. And I also want to pray specifically for those who don't yet know Jesus in a personal way. So you haven't experienced that peace that can carry you through any storm because you don't have the Prince of Peace in your life yet. You, you can't say, Father, because you don't know him in that way yet. Today can be the day that that adoption takes place because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You ask God to adopt you as a son, as a daughter, to forgive you of your sins. And it happens. He's, he's already done all the work. You don't have to clean up your act first. He's already done it all. He's just waiting for you, waiting with open arms for you to receive the invitation. And your life and your eternity can be changed as a result. If you filled out one of those prayer cards, you can drop that off after the service, either on the stage or in, in some buckets we have in the back of the room. Either way, it's going to get prayed for. Everyone that comes to 21 Days of Prayer uh, will be praying over these needs specifically. If you would like for those to be prayed over, then, then just leave it here. And also come and be part of the prayer services. Church opens at 6 a.m. through the week every day. There's a prayer service at 7 a.m. and then 9 a.m. on Saturdays. We would love, love it if you could make it. Even if you can't be here in person, carve out time to pray this week. And to help you do that, there's a little free gift, a free resource on your way out. It's this 21 Days of Prayer guide with some scriptures and some applications that can really help these next 21 days become some of the most intimate times with God you've ever had. And so please grab one of these on the way out. Let's stand together once more and let me just pray a blessing over you before we leave. Father, thank you for the powerful truth we've heard today through your word, the Bible, through song. And I pray, God, that you would just help those words take root in our hearts, especially for those of us who are struggling right now, apprehensive, nervous about the things we're facing. God, just let your peace reign supreme in our lives. I pray your blessing on the teachers and the students and parents and all those preparing for another school year. Just give them favor as they begin this year. But Lord, let them go with you, knowing, Lord, that you are leading the way. I pray, God, that you would continue to guide our steps. For those here today that don't yet know you, the most important decision of their life could happen right now in their own hearts, their own minds. If you want to begin that relationship with Jesus today, if you want to be able to call God Father and know that for eternity you're secure with Him, just in your own heart and mind, pray a prayer like this. Jesus, would you save me today? Forgive me of the way I've lived. Forgive me that I've tried to do life my own way. I know that I need a Savior and I cannot save myself. I'm putting my faith, my trust, my hope in you. Adopt me into your family. Make me the person I was meant to be and help me to remain faithful as I continue, Lord, to trust you and live for you. And for all of us, God, I thank you that that invitation is possible, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Let us never lose sight of who we are and who you are, our loving Heavenly Father. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. God bless. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.